gentlemen, welcome to episode 115 of the MTB podcast, presented and hosted by Worldwide Cyclery. I am Jared. My name is Yef. My name's Liam. We are back in the studio. Jared is back with us. That's right. Uh, yeah, we're going to be back on a roll of doing podcasts every couple of weeks, optimistically. And we're here. We, for a while, we're all there for a little over a week or a whole week. We were in Whistler. Yeah. We rode Whistler, Pemberton, Squamish uh, with Chasing Epic, guided mountain bike tours. Mm. That was awesome. That was a really fun trip. And yeah, I had a great time. Did you enjoy yourself, Jared? Had absolute time of a life. Lifetime? <laughs> Time of a life, yeah. Time of a life. Time of a life. <laughs> Liam, time of a life as well? Yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I had a time of life. I mean, it's hard to not have the time of the life when you're in time of the life. British Columbia. Yeah. yeah. Riding bikes and, uh, you know, they just, summer. They just nurture you so well there. They just yeah. give you good bike trails and good food and good drink. Yeah. And no, then you leave. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm blown away at the trails there yeah. yeah, and the amount of man-made trails that are built really well with a lot of intention and, you know, just details and it's just yeah. cool. And so, so many well people seem to chip into that yeah, the work there. It's, I was it's amazing. The, the community surrounding each zone seems just so solid, especially in Squamish, like yeah. trails everywhere, like spider webs of trails. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, we have races every Tuesday and, you know, dig days and every and month. Barbecue days. Barbecue yeah. like All these and, different things that the trail community you know, organizes. Yeah. And so cool. Around us, it's like, you want a new trail? Too bad. Yeah. You want a trail for mountain biking? Nope. Too bad. Too bad. Yeah. It's just like, we, wow. Remember, Jared, <laughs> when you reached out to the local trail yeah. network, Costca? Never forget. And offered them free labor and money and yeah. they denied. Yeah. You know what else is crazy is just like the stark contrast. You know, like we just came back from the sick trip and then we like, you know what? We come down to Backbone, like our favorite trail. And like, yeah, they're just taking a bulldozer down it. Oh, yeah. You want a corner there? Too bad. Nice well, and soft, loose. Well, doing stop, stop what you're crap. saying is it's actually going to be better. It will be eventually. <laughs> yeah, but they could. It's like Jared's emotionally I'm, angry in the moment. Still very salty it's, about it's the whole situation. It's kind of how you have to fix the trail, though. Well, yeah, I, I the, 100% do they do, agree. Do they do the wrong time of year? Yeah, of course. <laughs> you don't do that in middle summer. Well, However, yeah, it's, I'm just, it's, you know, yeah. it's good trail work. They just did the wrong time of year. And I also saw that they had this huge water tank up top, and I have like, you know, very naively thought oh maybe they'll use some of that water to like pack it down or like put it in some corners like oh no that would be way too nice to yeah you know a little little discombobulated and then it's like oh yeah up in squamish got new loamer like every couple weeks yeah it's like every two weeks they have a new loamer (laughs) it's like oh man Uh, cool cool guys they do it well i mean they have i think was it sorba the name of the squamish off-road something or is that what it was called i don't know um but they have they literally have the signs kind of around the trail network there that has that trail network and it says you know donate to help help the cause help us build trails go to trail forks you know trail karma it's like yeah this is amazing like they make it clear and obvious like hey you're riding our trails please thank us this is where how you can help us i mean yeah it's just well done it's super impressive um yeah, I like yeah. riding bikes in Canada for that exact yeah. reason. Some of those signs were pretty fun. I think one of them said something like, um, are you climbing with that heavy weight of your conscience? Like, please feel free to donate to the trail organization. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that one. That's, That's a good. good one. Yeah, yeah, there's always, every time I'm in Canada, I'm always laughing at the names of the trails. They're so like, good. They're just creative hilariousness. I think it's so kind good. of everywhere. Yeah. Those trail names would just get wild. Yeah. You got any funny trail names locally? Some of them I can't even say on the podcast. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> well, there's a couple in Rocky Peak, which are, but official <laughs> trail names locally that are marked. Hmm. Well, official? That are funny. Or no. are they on trail forks? Marked? 
<laughs> yeah, like there's a sign. We don't even have those. <laughs> there's some signs out there. Oh, barely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of the none that are funny are like even like cool handmade wooden like yeah, carvings and like, no, you know, definitely not. Paint, hand yeah. painted, like, yeah, nothing like that. Bureaucracy is not helping the cause of many. We did have the golf California. ball trail, which was about as close, you know, in terms of fun and like little. Yeah, it got torn down yeah, exactly. in four weeks. In four weeks <laughs> exactly. because it was not officially approved. And then they yeah. spent who knows how much money to send people out there to throw and destroy the entire trail. It's oh, so and backwards. And, and cut out more chaparral, which they're worried about. Yeah. In yeah. the first place. Yeah. It's just so Anyways. backwards. Well, let's get back so on, on let's track. Not, let's not gripe you, about uh, the local trail. We also, get me riled up this you know, whole time. We mm-hmm. also left Jared in Whistler for a week. Mm-hmm. He slept in and we were like, dude, we're out. We're, uh, we're Jeff and I had a flight to make and we left Jared in Canada. So, yeah. Yep. How'd that go? Yeah, it went great. Everything yeah. was good. Had Did really you good ride time. after? I rode. Were you going to ride the. I rode the day Vancouver you guys left, um, but couldn't make Vancouver Island happen just because of the logistics. Like, Originally, it was supposed to be a two-hour drive across the island from when we were staying, um, but that road was closed, so there's a detour that ended up leading like a five-hour drive. So um, it was just, you know, cutting it too close to go for a ride over there on the island. And the word on the street is you're engaged. <laughs> yeah, True? That's correct, okay. yeah. <laughs> yes. She did say yes. Everybody was asking. I said that on the, the last podcast. I was like, oh, Jared's in Canada asking a girl to marry him. And, and uh, Taylor was like, what if what if Paige hears that? Like, what if, when is this podcast going out? And she was like, worried about it. <laughs> I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I said that after. Yeah. You know, the record date was even asked after he asked and whatever. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it was funny. Kind of people like, came out. Valid. I didn't really even consider that. So it's good thing I didn't mess that up. <laughs> no, it's pretty funny. A couple of people just came out of the woodwork. Like, hey, yeah, I heard you're getting married. And I'm like, what are you? T-? I was just like kind of off my phone a lot of time. Like, what are you talking about? And then like, like Matt Bradley, he's like, "Hey man, you're getting married. Man. Yeah. Proud of you, man." And I was like, "Thanks, man." Like, a lot of funny comments about yeah. predictions of how many kids you're gonna have in yeah. how many years and oh, things man. like that. That one guy says gonna have like eight kids. And I'm like, dude, give me a break, dude. Give me some time. <laughs> like, man, I cannot afford eight kids. Can't even afford one kid right now, let alone eight. Yeah, especially with Bean taking up all your time and money. Yeah, being the cat, being the cat, man. You gonna take being the cat to Italy? Oh, I wish. She would really love it there. So that is <laughs> the uh, Dolomites really Italy trip is the next mountain bike trip uh, we have on the books. I'm pretty sure it's sold out at the moment, but we did recently have a couple cancellations. So there was a couple open spots, but I think they're already gone. I don't know. If yeah. you're interested, um, Jared, put a link in the show notes, please. Yep. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for that. So Same. Early September, riding mm. the Dolomites, all those fantastic Italian mountain bike trails. Wow. Yeah. It's going to be The good. recent EDR enduro race was in oh, Canazai. Yeah. Formerly is, the EWS. Yeah, formerly EWS, whatever. Um, is that the Val de Fassa? No, it was in Canazai. Okay. Yeah. Well, then that was maybe the week before or something. Yeah. It was yeah. in Canazai. Canazai. Which is in the Dolomites, which looks like maybe an hour at most from where we're going. Nice. So similar terrain and, and stuff, and it's beautiful, and trails look epic, so... Nice. Yeah. I mean, if you just Google mountain biking in the Dolomites, like all you see is photos that make you go, Whoa, yeah, I want to go there. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Stoked for that one. Yeah, Very that's, that's going to be good. Let's just rip through the next two months so we can get there. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, we should jump into uh, one important thing today, which is SRAM just releasing the GX Eagle Access Transmission. Oh, wow. Is that SRAM so? GX T type transmission Eagle Access? Yeah, SRAM GX Access T type. SRAM GX T type. SRAM Eagle Access T type transmission. SRAM Jiggle GX 
T-type transmission so axis. If you remember, I, I think it was March, SRAM introduced their uh, quote-unquote transmission drivetrain, which is the, the hangerless drivetrain system where the derailleur mounts directly to the frame, clamps onto it, uh, does not use a derailleur hanger, and it's compatible with frames that are made around the UDH, the Universal Derailleur Hanger Standard. And uh, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. It's pretty big news. Um, I think some of the you know it was a very different look, very different take on how you mount a derailleur to a bike. And I don't know, one of the most amazing things we all noticed off the bat is how quiet it was, but also how you could shift under load, which was amazing. And when they did that, it came out with XX, XXSL, XX, and XO, and XO. Right. So, so three variants, yeah. all super high end. Yep. Um, and now it has trickled down mm. to the GX level. Tickle down. Tickle down technology. Yeah, we also have a YouTube video about it if you want to see what it looks like as well. Um, just a short sort of announcement video that uh, covers all the various details and visually shows you what it looks like, uh, which it actually, for the most part, looks the same, except not the derailleur. They changed where the battery is actually mounted. So instead of mounting and hanging off the back of the derailleur, it's now kind of tucked inside of that little, what would you call that, that parallelogram? I'd, that little, I'd, I'd say the upper thingy. part of the cage that mounts to the frame. It kind of like sits below the frame now, which is really sleek and actually yeah, kind of looks arguably better. better. Yeah, um, looks really good. Which, I mean, I guess they, they do market GX as the most robust offering that mm. they make. So, yeah, it's more robust. Like, it even you know, has, a, did you see it has those little skid plates on the actual derailleur body that you mm. can uh, replace? Yeah. So like, you, did the other ones have I that? think XO definitely has that. I'm not yeah, sure about can... XX or XXSL because yeah. that is made for weight. Yeah. But, yeah, XO, I believe, has that in GX. Yeah, they call them, like, skid, I think they do call them skid plates. Um, yeah, for the most part, though, it's pretty much the same. Um yeah. Cassette looks different. Cassette Silver. looks different. Yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of people ask what's the difference between the various drivetrains. We've made videos on that in the past. Um, but it, it largely boils down to a feature here or there. Um, in this case, I don't really know if there's any features missing. Mm. Um, yeah, the, you know? the shifter pod might not have little replaceable rubber pads yeah that the xx and xxsl have however but you can use that pod if you'd want you can and yeah. it's the same pod as xo so like yeah. yeah features i don't know if there's any features that's necessarily yeah missing. there used to be occasional things where they would like hold features back if you went higher end but yeah, now but it really just comes into like weight and materials which i feel like even with the last axis offerings and even mechanical gx to xx1 is all the same pretty much mm -hmm. like it just basically comes down to materials and weight. Yep. So, and uh, yeah. these derailleurs, just like the higher end ones, uh, are pretty modular in the sense that uh, you can you can replace pieces. So if you just destroy the cage somehow, you can buy a new cage to replace it. Um, pretty cool. So price point wise, a thousand ninety nine. That's the group set that comes with a crank set that has a chain ring on it. Uh, the derailleur cassette flat top chain the pod controller, i.e. shifter, um, as well as the battery and the charger. So $1,099, definitely more than your regular GX Eagle Access upgrade kit that's non-transmission. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, a way, a way more robust and better product. So uh, yeah, it's cool to see that. Uh, again, it only, this, like all the transmission or T-type stuff, only fits on bikes that use the UDH, the Universal Derailleur Hanger from SRAM. Uh, we have an article all about how to figure that out if your bike has that or not, but you probably know if you're, a mountain bike nerd enough to listen to the mountain bike podcast. Mm. Or maybe that. not. I don't know. 
Yeah. But I thought it was cool. The cranks come in 165 as well as 170 and 175. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see that uh, SRAM is paying attention to trends and realizing a lot of people are running 165 cranks on enduro bikes. And yeah. now they're making their I, various cranks in that length. I have XXSL cranks in 165 on my bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, like, so. Yeah. My, I was kind of uh, like pretty shocked to see the weights of all of these parts Ooh. are not too far off XO. I mean, as yep. a whole, yeah, you know, you add up every single part, but, you know, say you have an exo derailleur, you buy a bike with it and you blow it up, which kudos to you because they seem to be pretty hard to break. But yeah. um, if you need a whole new derailleur, going to GX is only 17 grams heavier for a derailleur. And, like, that's where I think, at least for myself, on, like, enduro bikes or e-bikes where I'm smashing derailleurs, like, I always buy GX derailleurs. Mm-hmm. I almost never buy exo. I'll buy the nice shifters. I'll buy nice chains. I'll buy nice cassettes. Yeah. But I usually go one level down on the the derailleur just to you know smash it. It doesn't hurt quite as much. Same. Yeah. So and and by the data, uh, a lot more people buy the GX level drivetrains um, than the higher end stuff. Because yeah, I mean it's 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 fantastic value for your money. Yeah. And if you're looking for fantastic value for your money, that's the one to go with. Yeah. If you're looking for the creme de la creme, then mm. of course you go all the way up. But yeah, value for your money, a GX absolutely crushes it there. So definitely, yeah. it's nice. Yeah, there's not too much difference in weight. What about cassettes though? Because that, there's a significant. That's rate. where the significant weight yep. penalty is going to come into play. Yeah, the cassette chains a little bit, but it's mostly the cassettes. The mm-hmm. cassette for XO. Uh, transmission cassette is 379 grams and for gx transmission cassette is 444 hmm. so what is that 65 every grams. gram can't every gram can't man. yeah i mean that's every the only cans, man. that's almost the only rotating weight of the whole thing so 65 grams of rotating weight is you know what, what do they say one third or three times, three times, three yeah. times the weight. So, hmm. but that would be, I think, if it's on the like on the a rim tire, yeah, like or a tire, nipple out, nipple out, not nipple in. That's yeah, different. Well. But no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think the if you go, probably one of your best bets is to get the higher end cassette. It's got different materials and it's much lighter. Um, and then you get all the GX, everything else. Yeah, maybe exo chain because you, you do get yeah. A, then you get the hollow pins, hollow pin chain, yeah. which it also happens to be stronger than solid pin. Believe it or it not, it looks hmm. awesome. Yeah, it is also black. It is also right. black. Yeah, the yeah, exo yeah. chain's black. It looks good. Yeah, and all this transmission uh, access product from SRAM is all cross compatible. So yeah. any way you want to mix and match the GX, XX, XX, SL, and XO. <laughs> Nailed it. Yes. Uh, I was thinking you can, you're stuttering you when you go XX, XXSL. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the naming conventions in the bike industry. XXSL. They are challenging. Yep. I will yeah. admit. But yeah, it's pretty big news. Pretty big news from SRAM. Yeah. Uh, the uh, prior GX Access drivetrain sort of upgrade kit was a massive seller in the industry for the last three years. Two and, About, and a half. Yeah. What was that? Two and a half years mm-hmm. it came out. Around there, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think this will this will be equally important, and yeah, and well adopted by people that want the T type stuff. And yeah, the T type stuff, man. The what really sold me is just how quiet it is. I like that a lot. And then it is. I was riding my bike um, just yesterday, and with mechanical stuff on it, and thinking like, you know, you can't really shift under load. 
But even that delay where the chain goes from one cog to the next, you kind of have to let up there and not put too much pressure on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's still just like a a gap. Whereas the T-type stuff, there just isn't. Like you can just keep 100% of the power, the whole rotation, and it just shifts. Yeah, and sometimes it's so smooth, like... You're like, wow, does that shift? Yeah, yeah. Like, you have to double check, but wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. cool. It's Which I'm glad because once you ride it and get familiar with it, you're like, okay, this is significantly different. This is not just like a yeah. real branding or relabeling or right. just fit differently. Like, no, it actually performs differently. Yeah, I wasn't, way. at first I wasn't like 100% sold that would be that much different, but after riding it, like, it's like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, can, you can slightly change how you ride a bike, especially like, in a race scenario. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Pretty game changer in a race scenario. Yeah, I bet. It's, it's like shifting a car without using the clutch. You just slam it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Whether you're in a sanctioned yeah. race or you are just racing secretly Strava. racing your friend yeah. who you've always wanted to beat. <laughs> and, and maybe he doesn't know you're racing, but you're yeah. still racing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly um, right. Yeah. That's a good analogy, Liam. It really is like difference between almost like you know like a manual transmission and like an f1 style like yeah paddle, you know, paddle shifter yeah it's like yeah. Mah, mah, mah. The, the other thing with this goes for all of transmission but uh two weekends ago i did a pretty long climb it's uh, i think it takes me like over an hour hour 15 minutes for this climb i did it on my sb120 with transmission um you know didn't really notice anything i did it next the following weekend uh, on my Rail 2.9 with Mechanical X01. Um, also, the different cassette, right? So, transmission cassette on the 120, normal cause Eagle 1052 on the Rail 2.9. Uh, the gaps on the upper end of the transmission cassette are way smoother, way better, and, like, you find yourself less in between gears. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, the actually ratios of all the cogs are different. Yeah, that's, more yeah well exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm getting to, Jeff. Yeah. yeah thanks. Um <laughs> The story. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta clarify, man. Uh, yeah. Speaking because... of clarification, sorry to interrupt, but an SB120 is made by Yeti. It's a 29er, 120 mil travel, sort of lightweight trail bike. Rail 29, made by Revel, is a bigger enduro bike. So, just okay. so, just for those who don't know, yeah. 155 mil travel. 155 mil. I just, mils I just travel. also assumed everyone's a nerd on here and knows yeah. what yeah. bike it is. Um, I'll stop this soon. But yeah, so there you have a forty-two fifty-two jump on an old cassette, and now it's like a forty-six fifty-two, and it's like yeah, I found better. myself bouncing between that forty-two and that fifty-two a lot, just like looking for the in between. Hmm. A lot of people uh, did the second weekend complain so, about that yeah. huge gap. Yeah. So hmm. yeah, nice transmission GX axis. Transmission. Pretty cool. Speaking of new products, uh, a couple things that uh, we helped design, uh, seeing as we are co-founders of Trail One Components, uh, some new pedals, Vortex composite pedals, as well as a new pair of grips, the Farlow Gap grips. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Anything you want to say? Um, yeah, Vortex composite pedal. Uh, we set out to make a composite pedal that we felt uh, we wanted to ride. So um, it's hard to get a composite pedal with all the features that you really want. You're limited by thickness of the actual like composite, the plastic that you're using um, and how thin you can go, uh, profile and kind of shape and all that stuff. So um, yeah, we're able to get something that's really cool. It's a like actual flat pedal, so not convex, which most composite pedals are, um, with yes. a concave pin design. So uh, kind of a mix in there. Um, good p- 
uh, platform size, 105 millimeters by 105 millimeters, seven metal pins and two molded. So nice. we also uh, have a lifetime warranty on them and you get one free rebuild kit per year with purchasing the pedals. Oof. So I like that. Yeah. Yep. That's nice. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea is, you know, performance, durability, and serviceability. It's kind of, it's actually really fun, I think, at this stage to be working with, like, Liam and I get to work with a really talented engineer to design this stuff. And we all collectively brainstorm and piece these things together. And it's actually really fun. You'd think it would be a challenge sort of trying to design stuff this sort of, I guess you could call late in the game, whereas, like, flat pedals, grips, like a lot of these things have been pretty optimized to where they are, but that allows us to just look at every tiny little detail of the different ones already in existence that we know are good and then merge that all into one thing ourselves. Um, that's what we did with the grips. It's what we did with the pedals and what we're doing with a lot of the trail and stuff, which is actually pretty fun. Um, just lets you get more granular, which is actually quite quite enjoyable and then yeah with trail one you know there's one dollar per set of pedals goes to um ocala which is a trail network in florida that maintains and built the vortex trail um so yeah and then same thing farlow gap that's a trail in pisgah north yep. carolina nice um so that'll help them build trails as well wow so such a fun project i really enjoy it but if you're interested in that stuff um yeah feel free to just type in trail one into the google machine the website's trail one dot bike check out that stuff we're pretty proud of it. Wow. Yeah, it's come out quite nice. And then just quick, Farlow Gap Grips are a thinner version of our Hell's Gate Grips. Mm -hmm. So base, pretty much the same overall design, just a little bit thinner with uh, the ribs taken out and uh, yeah, just a thinner package. So it fits more regular shaped hands and preferences. Yeah, I think a lot of that boils back down to preferences, but a lot of people really loved the design of the Hell's Gate grip and everything we did there with the little cushions underneath the metacarpals and the uh, basically the whole layout of the grip. But they're like, oh, I just kind of want a thinner version of this. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we can do that. Yeah. So, yeah. What are you going to do, Jared? Are you going to keep riding Hell's Gate or are you going to? Yeah, I mean, I'm used to them now. <laughs> and I like I, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, yeah. but the irony is you used to really like thin grips. Yeah, well, I still with, do. Yeah, I still do. We came with Hell's Gate and, you know, I went through that route too. I was like, kind of like the thinner grips. And then I tried some slightly thicker grips and I was like, wow, these are actually way more comfortable in my hands, especially consecutive days of riding, mm -hmm. all of that. Um, so I just learned to like them. And then when you tried the Hell's Gate, you're you, oh, this is too thick. I want a thinner one. I was like, okay, well, don't worry. We're working on that too, which is where the Farlow Gap came from. But as, as the Farlow Gap is in de development, Jared realizes like, Oh, now I've got used to these Hellsgate grips and I like this diameter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny how things happen, right? Um, but you're not the only person because so many people have said that to me. They're like, man, I first got them and I thought they were kind of too thick and now I just love them. I can't ride any other grip. Yeah. Like, yes. And I just love the compound. Uh, like how yeah. there is a little bit more cushion to them and they're super soft and grippy and um, gloves or no gloves. Like I just really like them. Yep. And like I definitely noticed in Whistler, you just ride in the bike park like for hours on end yeah and just like, that's okay, the place where kind of hanging out like, i okay. started liking a little bit thicker grip because yeah. when you have braking bumps or just it's just it's just rugged and rough out there yeah. like even just the normal trail bike and yeah. trails you can pedal up it's like you get no brakes on your equipment or your body no. in in whistler and the surrounding area so it's For nice sure. to have grips like that yeah but i'm gonna keep on running those i mean i like the farl gaps too also on my hardtail i really like the cushy grips and you know still loving that hardtail Love that hardtail. Yeah. Yeah. So fun. Honestly, that's probably the bike I like reach for most when I go riding. Just yeah. like Sycamore Dos Vienos, like just kind of is super raw and like, you know, 
kind of thinking about no frills should do it man you should 100 get an lfa it's got your name on it literally so i sold that salsa cutthroat which was a yeah. quasi gravel you're, bike rigid mountain bike you're gonna get another one but now you're like maybe i should get a hardtail yeah now i'm thinking well because i also got that revel rover gravel bike that we got to build up nice. and i was like well if i build that up and then i have another bike that's so similar just has flat bars yeah maybe i should just try a hardtail because yeah i'm not riding with you on that thing like so, a, yeah. I just could build like a really ultra light hardtail, but that still has decently aggressive yeah. geo. Yeah. So I'm thinking about it. It's the perfect thinking Sycamore about going bike, hardtail life. Perfect Sycamore and Dosviano's bike. Like, yeah. I mean, and then it's fun. Like, and then you take out your full suspension and you're like, wow, I have so much travel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels different. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. Sure. I mean, and then you can ride it. Like, I don't know. I'm, the, when I ride my hardtail, I, I find myself like working on my fundamentals a lot more and like actually, you know, taking corners properly and, you know. And you can just do kind of like dumb stuff where you, it, it feels dumber on a hardtail, yeah, yeah, you know, than on your, you know, trail bike or whatever. But yeah, I like the yeah. idea of doing some bike packing too, and yeah. hardtails are perfect for that. So yeah, it's very know. versatile. I'm considering it because of the versatility. Yeah, you can lock out the fork, you yeah. full rigid, and it's like you it's know, true. you, you had a hardtail not that long ago. Nothing to lose, man. I did have a Hefe, but you never have any bike for very long. I do have some bikes for a year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least he's honest this man he's a, he's a straight shooter this guy yeah i mean a year is a good mark because i get good time on it and then you know i pass it off before it gets too worked and loses value um but yeah i had the el jefe and then uh, i had a revel ranger which i had like built up more as a trail bike and then i was like well i don't ride the el jefe hardtail that much and then i wanted to make that the Ranger more optimized for the Breck Epic last year. So I've kind of turned it more in like a proper XC style bike. So then they're like really close. Yeah. So then I was like, oh, I'll, I'll sell the hardtail, ride the Revel Ranger. And then I had a trail bike. So yeah. it was cool. Um, yeah, I just didn't find myself riding it that much. And, uh, you know, there's only so much room in my garage. So, so many five, so many. Five, <laughs> five or six bikes is pretty much the limit right now yeah. that I'm holding myself to. So. You're pretty stacked. Yeah, pretty stacked. Speaking got, stacked. Oh, what, what were you gonna say? Oh, um, I was gonna stacked. say he also has a your gravel bike with like a with a fork that you can put on it, and you can put huge tires on that thing. Like yeah, I can you get basically 40, have a hardtail. Forty definition of stacked, man. Yeah, yeah. forty five C tires with a little Fox gravel fork on there. Yeah, which is pretty versatile setup. Yeah, um, I mean, you're obviously you know. not gonna go rip like full on, you know. I don't know. I could if I wanted. Jumps and drops. I or could. You could. Why not? I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. I, I Why not, bruh? Probably not flinch at the site. No, I definitely would not, though. I'll just have <laughs> a full suspension. <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? So, I mean, you could still get in enough trouble, have fun, but yeah. Hardtail life, bro. Back to my stacked comment. The listener questions are stacked. Yeah, they are. So, quick intermission and then listener questions. Bada bing, bada boom. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Craig Federighi from Apple. I'm here to let you know, last week at Apple Park, we had our Worldwide Developers Conference, and we're really excited about our new Vision Pro. We're looking for developers to help create the world's first augmented reality mountain bike game. If you're a developer and intimately familiar with wearing a VR headset while riding your mountain bike, please email me at craig at apple.com. Thank you. And now, back to the show. Listener questions. Listener questions. Number one. Wow. Budget build. How to get the most out of your bike without breaking the bank. Wow. I like this. This is really um, good. Where to optimize your bike for as few bucks as possible. Well, I have a quick plug. Okay. 
Well, it's not really a plug, but uh, one time at Bandcamp, we spent a lot of time sort of really dissecting and prioritizing how to upgrade your mountain bike and what to do in what order and why. And we made a YouTube video and an article about it. Oh, yeah. That's really good. It's called How to Upgrade Your Bike, What to Do Now, What to Do Next, all those things. I'm so glad that we put a lot of thought into that. Remembered because I was just going to just start spouting off. Random things. Yeah. Bars, we might as well throw a couple tires. of tips in there while we're here. Oh, yeah. Well, you know? we will. Well, mm-hmm. what, should you get mm-hmm. some brakes, so you, some good stoppers so you don't break the bank? <laughs> yes, Liam. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, honestly, that's one of the first things I was going to say is upgrade your brakes. Bigger well, rotors. I think, it, pads, I think you got to gotta, you gotta, you you assess bike. your whole yeah, bike. Yeah, you got to look at the bike. It's you all do. individualistic. You know? Yeah, man. That's it, true. It's hard. Yeah, man. My, my thought but. in that video was what is bothering you the most, yeah. if anything. Mm-hmm. So if you feel as if your tires are, you know, cheap or bald or deteriorated, then there you go. There's your first upgrade. If you feel like, yeah, your controls and your brakes and your derailleur all work good, but maybe, you know, the thing that bothers you the most is you feel a little pogo sticky because you got a base model fork or shock and then suspension might be the most logical first upgrade. Mm. So kind of think of... What bothers you the most? Yeah. And that's probably what you're going to get the most enjoyment and benefit out of upgrading first on. Yeah. yeah. Instead of just getting like a sick $150 CNC machine stem and then be like, wait, <laughs> it still rides like crap. Yeah, <laughs> exactly <laughs> still, right. It still rides the same. <laughs> exactly right. Unless yeah. it's a shorter stem. Like yeah. if your bike came stock with an 80 year sure. stem and you throw yeah. it a length. But True. Yeah, the same length stem. Yeah, no, you're not going <laughs> to. That ain't it, bud. No. They, all, they also said budget build. So like if you're building a bike. Yeah. And looking to like where to save some money and then spend the money. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what how this question. That could be it. Yeah, not how to upgrade your bike, mm-hmm. how to get the most out of it. But yeah, if you're gonna like if, custom build a bike, yeah. If yeah. that was the case, I'd say good suspension, good brakes, good tires. Yep. Yeah, focus on those. Those those three, I think, make a huge difference. And honestly, when I build a lot of my bikes, that's where I go high end, and then everything else, I kind of go mid tier, like drivetrains and alloy wheels that are good and light but not like because a lot of the other stuff is the stuff that hits diminishing returns exactly you know like a good a good wheel set versus a top of absolute top of the line wheel set like there's a difference but it's pretty small yeah whereas if you look at like really basic low level suspension versus even like the close to top tier stuff like that's a completely different way the bike rides yeah so yeah same thing with tires and brakes yeah you know what brakes i think call i like Uh, that liam nice work who makes some really good like mid-grade brakes is magura like those MT5s, MT5s are, are solid. really hard to beat. Those are really good brakes. Yeah. Like, I just love their, just the great lever feel and power. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Solid brakes. I have them price. on my, my Ebe, nice. my Forstall, and they work great. Nice. Well, yeah. Anything right. else to add? Cool. Yeah. I don't know. I think, uh, I think that's about it for the, the budget bike build. So I liked Liam's take. Did you say good pedals? That's pretty clutch. Yeah, though. contact points. Contact yeah, points. Good contact pedals and grips. Yeah. Pedals grips. Those are almost a given though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To some extent. Yeah. 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 Contact points with your body and with the ground. Yep. Yeah, this is a good question here. I like using O-Train on my longer travel bike. I'm curious to try the new SRAM transmission, and I'm wondering if there's a way to use SRAM transmission with an O-Chain today, or if there's something that is actually non-compatible from a chain line or chain ring perspective that would prevent this. And Liam, you said you were kind of checking this out a little bit before the podcast. Yeah, well, I spoke with O-Chain when Transmission first came out, and they're in process of making it, and I just looked, and they do have a O-Chain 
spider that is now transmission compatible, which basically means you need a eight bolt SRAM crank or chain ring pattern O-chain mount. So basically the newer I crank. Lost, I, I, get, I think you said it right. Did I get lost in the sauce? No, I think you got it. O-chain okay. makes their own base. It's a spider Correct. basically that attaches to the new SRAM transmission cranks via the eight bolt pattern. Yeah. SRAM moved from three bolt as of they've done for the last who knows how long? Eight years <laughs> to eight bolt. We don't really know why, but it does require well, new chain rings and therefore a new spider. So O-Chain made an eight bolt and it is available on their site. So all you would need is that O-Chain and then get a 104 BCD chain ring narrow wide that is transmission compatible. Right. And you'd be good to go. And they make all that. So. And you know exactly why they did that. It is to completely erase all of the backwards compatibility that there would have been. Yeah, you think, you think that's what they would say? <laughs> oh, it's, it's uh, you know, a little bit. Sram's uh, marketing speak would say exactly that. It's yeah. so we could erase the backwards compatibility. You think they we'd did, make it that easy? They did only make their their power meter cranks 8-bolt for the past couple years. Probably for the same, maybe. That, and that I honestly could see, like, yeah, for some reason. That's also Actually, road. So, so now everything uses, between road, mountain, and gravel, uses the same 8-bolt pattern. But, yeah. It yeah, does. that yeah. three bolt eight bolt thing was confusing because there wasn't an issue. It wasn't as if people were having issues with that at all. No, no. so that wasn't that wasn't even a if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like it's not only is it not broke, but it's not inferior. It's not. It's perfect. It's <laughs> fine. Fact, like it's five less bolts. I, that I, you I, I was going to say be. it is five less bolts that you <laughs> <Yeah>. need. <laughs> the question is, how many people are just going to run the eight bolt and only put three bolts in there and just go on with their life? <laughs> <laughs> it's like how some people run three bolts on their six bolt. Yeah, runners. man. I, every gram counts. Even when sus. I was a weight weenie racing XC, I'd see people do three bolts. I'm like, I'm just going to run six, man. Yeah, it's yeah. like I know. it's like ten extra grams. Yeah, I can, I can handle that. Right? Yeah. Well, for for context too, uh, we've talked about Ochain a number of times on this podcast, but if you're not familiar with it, it is a device that bolts onto your crank and it uh how do you how do you describe that? It creates a little bit of play before your pedal engages and that way when your suspension activates and can pull backwards on your chain, i.e. chain growth, um that doesn't affect your your cranks and your yeah. pedals or essentially give you pedal kick Back, which makes your suspension feel stiffer. Eliminates kickback. How does so, O-Chain describe this? Hard, it's a hard thing to... Uh, I think that's pretty much exactly yeah, how they describe it. They don't say play, like, though. They yeah, have their own term. I want to say f- it's a floating Act, spider. Active spider. Active, active spider. spider, yeah. There you go. So, yeah. And we do have another podcast where Nico talked pretty in-depth about running O-Chain versus running a high pivot with an idler mm-hmm. and all that. And he ended up running... A bike basically designed around O-Chain. So you could run a bike with a little bit more pedal kickback and chain growth, but not quite enough to run a idler and have it as, you know, sort of a mid-high pivot. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is It is an interesting concept. This O-Chain says it much more clearly and concisely. Um, it says, freedom to go beyond pedal kickback and experience the chainless feeling. Mm. So... The, I mean, but that also means, you know, what the chainless feeling is. So if uh, actually it's a really fun thing to do with your bike, um, take your bike, ride a familiar trail that you always go downhill on and take your chain off 
and zip tie your derailleur so it doesn't bounce around and see how your suspension behaves because some suspension designs most of them have some level of chain growth meaning uh, there's a little bit of pedal kickback when the suspension uh, goes out goes throughout its travel and riding that same suspension with no chain versus a chain you can experience that and o chain is supposed to create that chainless feeling so yeah, a little techy. So if you're really interested in this stuff, um, check out that podcast with Nico, which was like ninety episode ninety two or uh yeah ninety one like maybe, and then also I thought it was the more recent one that he he kind of went more in depth on that, but I could be wrong. One when he was actually yeah we've done a couple studio. with Nico yeah 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 mm-hmm. but yeah there you go check out O Chain. Uh, yeah, that is a really cool interesting product for yeah. the people that want that chainless feeling. Super cool. Next question. Mm-hmm. If you had to eat a crayon straight from the box, which color are you going for? A crayon. Yeah. Like a kid's In- coloring crayon. Like a Crayola, Crayola. Crayola. I could never say that when I was a kid. Crayola? I still have trouble. Crayola. No. Crayon. 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 They're edible. Crayon. They got to be edible. Uh, well, none of us have kids. I think mostly wax. Are crayons edible? I don't think so, no. He doesn't think so. Yeah. I think they're mostly. So don't eat the crayon. Anytime they're in his kid's mouth, he takes them out, he says. If yeah, they are wax. Well, I would, I would pick the yellow. Oh, it's non-toxic. Um, you yes. just might get an upset tummy. Oh, is what they say. Oh. Okay, that's with most food that we eat. <laughs> yeah, um, or or general people eat. Oh, um, here, this one says if ingested will largely act like a mild laxative. Oh, oh. <laughs> I mean wax. That is one solution if you don't have laxatives at yeah. home and you. Have crayons. You're more um, at risk from crayons. choking on it. I'm so. going to go for as long as you chew. red or purple. Oh, nice. I think yeah. those would have too rich of flavors. <laughs> Whereas the yellow would have more of a light. But see, you want a more zesty, like zesty citrusy flavor? Citrus flavor, yeah. yellow lemon or banana? And artificial banana is just kind of bunk. Yeah. It's, to me, it's better than artificial cherry or strawberry, though. I was artificial gonna go, strawberry or artificial grape, I think, are way better. Yeah, I was going to go purple. For like that's purple skirt. Pretty much when I went straight forward. The things mountain bikers learn on the MTB podcast: crayons can be eaten and (laughs) react as a mild laxative. So next question: start flavoring them. This is actually a good question. What's your favorite chain lube for SoCal wet and dry conditions? You skipped one. We'll we'll, we'll answer this. Yes, you did. Yeah, but we'll answer that. Go ahead, Liam. I'm excited about the chain Um, lube. Do you know what chain lube use on your bikes, Jeff? Squirt. Okay. Nice. Nice. Squirt. I have to lube my chain sometimes when no one is around to yeah. lube my chain. Uh, Yesterday, yeah. I changed my whole cockpit. I know. I'm really sorry you about that. Know. And put I, on a water bottle cage. No, I, I totally yeah. messed up. I blanked it. Monday was kind of a pinner of a day, and he asked me to put the trail and cockpit on the Banshee he was going to oh. ride. And I remembered halfway mm-hmm. up my whole end on my road ride and going, <laughs> oh, mm. I forgot to set up just bike. <laughs> I almost it. chatted you sorry in the middle of the ride. Oh, totally forgot. It's always um, in the funniest was, places you remember stuff day. like that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. in the shower, just like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, uh, there you go. So yeah, I've actually, Squirt. I went down a bit of a chain lube rabbit hole uh, last year. Um, got super in like zero friction facts and all these friction websites and Silka and all the stuff going down the rabbit hole. And kind of just came to the fact that Squirt is kind of the best lasting. It's a liquid wax, meaning you put it on and it's wet and then you let it actually fully dry. Like best is to do overnight and then it's almost a dry wax. One of the cons to that lube is that you can't put it on right before the ride. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. You got to put it on the night before. But when you do it properly, you fully degrease your chain, you put it on with proper coats. I think it lasts the longest. It's quiet. 
Um, it yeah. has a very low friction rating and it's not super expensive. Like some of the other, you know, ones like Silka or ceramic speed that are just ridiculously expensive for chain lube. Um, so yeah, squirt, squirt is what I recommend for dry SoCal conditions. Not to be confused with the beverage. The beverage. Yeah. What is that? Like a lemon lime, like a lemon sprite lime, type beverage. Sprite type beverage. Yeah. I, I will say that. Yeah. I am impressed with that squirt stuff. I think it's slightly annoying. You got to put it on the night before. However, it does last really long. Yeah. It is quiet and it doesn't attract any dirt. And that's like mud. It's also versatile in that sense. Mm-hmm. That like it doesn't, it works perfectly good in a bunch of creek crossings and mud as well as dust. Yeah, it definitely doesn't work quite as well when you start getting it wet and through a ton of creek crossings. However, you know, if you're not riding a ton of that, it still works well. Like I use it whenever we travel and we, we were in Colorado last summer and hit 10 creek crossings a day and still yeah. had quiet drive trains and people next to us did not. So yeah. Yeah. Nice. Squirt. Uh, I like the Muck Off Bio Dry. I've just been getting that one. Second best. Second best. Yeah. And uh, that that one, I, you know, I don't always have the presence of mind to lube my chain the night before. Yeah, that's a good go-to when you got to do it the morning of. You know what I do? I do it immediately after I finish riding. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. You just literally, before I put my bike up on the wall, I just, and it's so, it's so clean. Like, squirt so clean. It's literally like two or three back pedals. Put it back on another two or three back pedals and on the wall. Good ride next time. Super easy. That's pretty good. It's an admirable level of discipline you have there, <laughs> Mr. Woods. <laughs> no, it sure is. Speaking right, of let's discipline, let's go to the, the question that I skipped. How heavy is too heavy? I live in Central Florida. The trails I ride are mostly uh, punchy climbs, steep drops, as well as roots and chunk. And he's currently riding a 35.8 pound Marin Alpine Trail XR uh, because he, you know, bought it because of spec. And long story short, thought he's going to be riding at other places. But wondering if he would benefit from ditching the steed and getting something carbon with maybe 120 to 130 mil travel and obviously less weight. Um, I checked out this bike and it's got like a Lyric and a coil shock and I think it's alloy frame and, you know, kind of a beefy rig. So it's a big dog. It's a beefy rig. So, I mean, yeah, I could see that like living in Florida, you know, it could be a little overbiked. Um, but I thought, I mean, personally I was like, yeah, I mean, kind of sounds like the perfect place to have like a Ranger or an SB120. Yeah. I, I'm going to say a lot of what you feel isn't necessarily the overall weight of the bike, but the platform of the bike. Right. You can have a Ranger 120 or, you know, a, a shorter travel bike still at 32, 33 pounds. Yeah, for sure. But the platform's going to feel better than something that is, you know, long-legged, you know, 150 rear travel. Yeah. Coil shock. Right. Um, so the weight is definitely part of it, but the platform, I th- I'd say, is equally as big of a factor, if not maybe bigger than weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think what he's riding now, he could probably have a couple sets of wheels, like buy another set of wheels that had way lighter tires and rims on it. Yeah. And when he's going to go ride stuff where he knows it's not super chunky and gnarly and or high speed, like run your super light wheels. Mm -hmm. And then if you're going to go to a bike park or somewhere that's a little bit more rugged, then run your more durable wheels with heavier tires. Because, I mean, that to me makes a huge difference. Like having a lightweight tire and rim just makes the bike feel like it spins up to speed faster, rolls faster, really changes the feel of a bike. And it's it's just the wheels. It's not like an entire bike. And maybe if you do have a coil shock, an air shock might also help your your case of pedaling a little bit more efficiently. Mm -hmm. I was thinking that too, maybe. But, you know. Yeah. Stiffen it up a little bit and more supportive pedaling. 
Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. There you go. I don't know. I'm also a weight weenie, so hard to imagine riding a 36-pound bike. That <laughs> <laughs> seems a lot. What does your Banshee weigh? Isn't it like 30, 31? Yeah, 31. Like 30, 31. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a full, full-fledged full enduro bike. Nice. So, yeah. I don't know. I like I like bikes being lighter, but it just depends on the use case. And it also depends on like, I, I think this is a huge part of like e-bikes and different categories of e-bikes, but how much do you weigh as a rider? Because Jeff and yeah. I at 150, 155 pounds, that ride, you know, 30 pound bike is a much different ratio than Jared or what, 185, 190, mm-hmm. you know, 30 pounds. Like, you know, you have a 40, not 40, 40 more pounds on us. Yeah. I don't know what percentage that is, but. You know, it's like 25% more weight yeah. on the same bike. That's a big difference. So. Yeah, that's true. Never really thought yeah. about that Yeah, for you guys. Well, there you go. How about this one? Tire pressure. Tire pressure. I've been riding bikes for just over 20 years. Tire pressure is never really something I paid attention to. Usually just set it and forget it. Currently running 23 in front, 25 in the rear, weigh about 170 with gear. Lives in Washington, D.C. area. Lots of hard pack and mild drought right now. Uh, dusty and slippery. He's noticing that he's kind of sliding out in the rear and he's wondering if he should increase or decrease pressure to help with the situation, get a little more grip. He's also running a Delium Steady 2.4 all-around casing with mm-hmm. a Cush Core insert, mm-hmm. uh, which is a pretty good intermediate tire. I think the Steady is like a, a little bit more than like a Maxxis Recon, maybe not quite as much as like a Maxxis Aggressor. Mm-hmm. I think it's right in that zone. Yeah, that's um, a pretty good all-around trail, tire. Trail tire. Right? And a push core insert. Um, I don't know. I say if I had to guess, I'd say you're kind of in the ballpark of your rear and front pressure for your yeah, weight. Not off. As long yeah. as he's as long as he's checking it. Twenty three, yeah. twenty five. It's not bad. I maybe, mean, maybe a couple lower if you want a little bit more. I don't know. You go twenty two, twenty seven. A couple well, more in the back. Oh, you think that would help with his that grip make, situation? That might make it slide a little more. Yeah. Oh, he has no traction in the back as we yeah, said. Yeah, traction in the back. more about the front. In the back. In the back. Uh, Jeff doesn't like yeah. traction in the back, so I wouldn't go lower than him. 25 in the back. Yeah, going lower than 25 at 170. Um, just a know, lot of weight on that rear yeah, tire, even you, climbing or descending. Like, just always a lot of weight on the rear tire. Of, going below 25. Like, even if you can get away with it, like, there's not really any performance benefits to that. Yeah. I rarely run under 25 PSI and I'm 150 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's only if I'm like super, super XC riding and I know the terrain's pretty mellow, I'll go like 24. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm 26 and up in the rear, personally. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe let it drift yeah. out a little bit more and keep that, that front tire gripping, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say he's too far off by any means. No, he's I mean, the, the reality is, is like it doesn't, you know, the, you're, when you're riding dry, dusty, loose over hard pack trails, like you're just going to, slip around here and there yeah that's true part of the sport there's no doesn't matter who you are (laughs) or how good you are like it's just it's just part of the deal you can work on your you know climbing position and braking technique and things like that to try and get better at that stuff which is always a helpful thing to do but at the end of the day i mean you can go watch the fastest guys in the world go uphill or downhill and they're going to have the same situations on that type of terrain so yeah um, yeah you just got to get used to it a little bit and work around it but But i don't think he's too far off pressure wise you might uh have fun just trying 24 PSI, 25 PSI, 26 PSI, 27, and, uh, you know, run the same trail over and over and change one PSI per run and see if you do notice a difference because that's a lot of his preference too in, in your riding style. So you might notice, you know, 
27 PSI, you have more control because your tire's not rolling around or something. Yeah. yeah. Experimentation is key. Yeah, especially it's that. Fun. It's like part of what makes mountain biking fun. It's yeah. like go out, yeah. write down what you did one day, go out the next weekend and write down what you're doing this time and see how different it is and if you like it or don't like it. Yeah, and tire pressure and suspension pressure literally cost nothing to adjust and mess with. So Yeah, yeah. that is very yeah. true. True. Yeah, but if you do feel like spending money, I guess you could try a different tire. I mean, a wider tire maybe. Yeah, it's got a good tire. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I want to say it's a bad tire at all or yep. too narrow or too fat. So Yeah, yeah. for those who aren't familiar with Delium, they make uh, really, really surprisingly good quality tires for an unbelievably good price point. Like in the $55 range, they're somewhere close to half the price of all the other big name brands out there. Um, fairly new tire company as well. And yeah, definitely impressive tires um, that are extremely value friendly. Yeah. Wallet friendly, value priced. Wallet friendly. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, we have those on the site. Yeah, we nice. do. Actually, I was mistaken. The Steady is very similar to a Hans Dampf. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good Hans tire though. Dampf. Yeah, nice. Um, cool. Next question is the single most important innovation of the industry and why? Is mm. this a, like a past innovation? I would assume so. Yeah. yeah. You'd think that's what that was meant. Um, I don't know. That's that's a challenging one because a lot of the stuff has been. Yeah. Dropper post seems to be the one that is like so substantial. Yeah. Um, it's kind of changed. I mean, like, you could say bikes. like suspension though. Yeah. yeah. But at the same. Yeah. Like if you think of a fully rigid bike versus a bike with suspension, like that is one major difference. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or a fully rigid with a drop post or without a drop post. I was literally just going to say that. uh, It'd be a fun race to do like fully rigid with a dropper versus a, you know, 100 mil bike or something suspended with no dropper and how much faster you can go. Right. I would almost argue dropper would make a bigger difference. Yeah. I mean, definitely for confidence downhill at least. Yeah. And depends on the terrain, but yeah. Oh, disc brakes were another pretty massive innovation. Disc brakes were huge. Yeah. And then I don't know. Just brake suspension and dropper. Tubeless, out. tubeless is still pretty f- slotting in maybe in that fourth zone. One by? Eh, it's definitely nice, but yeah. it doesn't make or break a lot of I don't think stuff. any of those come close to disc brake suspension and droppers, though. Yeah, but like... Like, I, would st- I still don't care about riding. Like, I could ride tubes right now and not really think it was that big of a deal until you run through goat heads and get a flat and have to change your tube <laughs> yeah i mean five that's, minutes that's annoying. there's like barely any goat heads you know in the mountains oh. like they're on the road on their way there but yeah i don't know you still get flat tires don't like it fixed that whole problem man i i got a uh small little puncture on my road bike over the weekend i was in a group ride and they're like oh you have seal and spraying up and i was like oh it might seal and then like <laughs> a minute or two later like it's not sealing yeah. <laughs> yeah. and uh, i was like all right like all right yeah, i'm gonna stop total mess and sprays pull, over everything I, yeah. I pulled over real quick pulled out my dyna plug saw there's a little piece of glass in there and was like i'm on a group ride i'm not gonna make everyone wait stab the dyna plug in there yeah put it up and i was rolling before the front of the group even like figured out that we had to stop for a flat because you know, they take a while they're like flat 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 you know and <laughs> people are still kind of slow rolling and i was like rolling up I'm like no we're good let's go it's like dude you can't do that with tubes yeah i was in and out of that thing in 30 seconds well i definitely don't think it's like it's definitely a very very relevant innovation but in terms of tire technology in general i mean yeah in terms of mountain biking like i could still go out and ride with tubes in right now and wouldn't be the end of the world but i'm certainly not going to go out with no dropper poster on a rigid or whatever 
Mm. Well, I did have a rigid. <laughs> yeah, you did. Different yeah. situation. <laughs> a rigid, a Unless rigid, I want it to a be. rigid with dropper and tubeless. Yeah. Mm. What about geometry? I don't know. Is that really an innovation or just an evolution? Iteration. Evolution. Iteration. Evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this leads good into this next question. How nice of a bike do you need? The nicest mm. one mm. ever. And buy it from Worldwide Cycling. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, For example, yeah. I ride gnarly stuff. I have a specialized status 160. And X drive chain, 36 rhythm, DPX2, Kodar brakes. I mean, that's already a pretty nice bike. That's it's, a pretty that's solid like a really, really nice bike. Um, yeah. Honestly, like, especially for riding black and double black trails, like you're saying, like, getting a lot nicer stuff, especially like drivetrain, isn't going to make a huge difference. I'd say, kind of going back to what we just said. Kodar brakes, Kodar C brakes and proper rotors will make a good difference. And 36 rhythm, if you put a grip two damper in there, that'd make a really good controllable like difference in the way your your fork feels. So Yeah. But I mean, that's a perfect like mid-level bike and like going up kind of what we're saying, you're gonna see some diminishing returns. So Yeah. You know, what's bothering you is yeah, just also upgradable, you, you know. Yeah, you can have a great bike and slowly upgrade it. That's half the fun of yeah. the the sport and uh you know do do what financially makes sense for you as well yeah <laughs> we, we don't advise advise going into debt to get a nice bike yeah so i mean you can the reality is you can have fun on anything um yeah you know, like you can still get out there and have fun so if the situation is you got to have a, a cheesy cheap bike then like you can still go out there and have fun and don't let anyone tell you otherwise yeah just get another bike bikes are good it's fun to have nicer ones but it's still fun to just ride them in general so yeah. focus on getting a good one it is well gents you want to rip through this last question in yeah. 10 yeah. seconds i think this is a great right. uh, great right. question um okay so basically these guys are talking about uh the cost of bike parts these days and why certain things cost so much uh he broke his dropper lever his buddy said you got the pnw loam because it's really nice and this guy said that's ridiculous how expensive it costs and his buddy says well it's super high quality and um it's got warranty and like what more do you want and basically they're they're arguing about why bike parts cost so much um yeah. one one friend says it's five dollars in materials and it's a waste of money yeah, if only if it was that simple yeah, yeah. and the other yeah, everyone's just driving lamborghinis either. in the bike industry because yeah. we have a like a massive margin on all these parts yeah. i mean i'll happily answer this since i'm pretty deep it's just, in this. It's just uninformed yeah. yeah pretty deep in this with trail one um you're correct that the actual dropper lever might only cost five dollars in material that's raw material not machined not any tooling fees, any programming fees, the engineer to design it. Um, so that all costs Warehousing, money. Warehousing, operations, yeah. logistics. Before you, the before entire you, bill of materials full of yeah. all the other small things also included in the lever. Yeah. Before yeah. you even make the lever, you know, you have all this, this cost up front to get it made. And then afterwards, you have to have boxes, boxes you have to pa- uh, ship this and package it across the United or the ocean into the United States. Uh, then distribution, warehousing, like Jeff said. Um, so, I mean, he's not really wrong. Yeah, technically, the raw materials might only be five bucks, but like, that's anyone who ever says that the, type of yeah. thing, like, just don't really have full context and understanding yeah. of what's going on behind the scenes. And a way for them to learn that is you could just say, 
I understand. See if you can make it for five dollars, good sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, make uh, it yourself for yeah. five dollars. Well, I don't have the machine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh yeah. it costs two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a CNC machine. And that, that's a low end <laughs> one. Five hundred thousand for the one that's going to make this part. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. Um, uh, people say that stuff all the time when people. How, yeah. how expensive is that bike? Oh, it's seven thousand. Oh my, seven thousand dollars! Yeah. I could buy a Honda Civic for that price. Yep. Okay. Well, you could. Anyways. How's baseball going these days? Like it's just I don't know. I just changed the topic. I don't even yeah. care to talk to thing on that on that yeah. situation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely there's points in on both ends of the argument, but like, yeah, it's just yeah. like so it's a lack of information. Like material cost is like ten percent of the equation. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, you got people it. working at PNW, you gotta have people shipping these things out. You know, yeah, there's, there's, there's all sorts of input costs into this. Yeah. But you know, like the more you get into the world of business and manufacturing in particular, the more you understand all this stuff and what actually goes into creating products of any kind. Yeah. Marketing, um, I mean, all sorts of yeah, costs. Just making yeah. sure people know it and can buy it and have a warranty on it and company stand behind it. Yeah. Well, before we go, a quick note. We did talk about toilet paper rolls and <laughs> having your toilet paper waterfall forward at you or yeah, and how ridiculous it would be the back. if it was off the back. Which yeah. Is, but, but we were, you know, not informed. There are... There is a method to madness. Yeah, the commenters the will always tell you. And yes. this, I read this comment. I was like, uh, this guy has a good point. This guy's right. <laughs> so <laughs> Slightly. Um, I don't really see how rolling around the back is going to fix this guy's issue. I think cat will still just do it. It will, no, but no, it but will just roll around. See, it'll be on the top. The cat will hit the front of it like this. Yeah. And then if it's rolled in the back, it won't unravel all over the ground. Yeah. Something mm-hmm. like a kid could do too. So like if you bump a roll, if you bump a toilet paper roll that's facing backwards, it won't unravel all over the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've just never had to I guess worry if about you this. Spin it, but if the cat yeah. got the little thing, if it got on off, the other side, it's still yeah. Gonna, yeah, but it's yeah. also hidden for the cat too, right? Like yeah. the cat would have to go up and behind, up and behind it to yeah. get the thing back yeah. there. So it makes sense. Like if you have a cat and if you have kids that are bumping the thing all the time, yeah, um, then you'd want to run your toilet paper around the reverse, back, reverse waterfall around. Yeah, the back. reverse waterfall. Um, well, he's also surprised Jared's dad's a dentist, and he said, now I understand the Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> Apology if he overstepped. Nope, that's all in line, bud. Nope, Keep them coming. You're good, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're good, man. Appreciate it. Thanks well, for reaching out. <laughs> if you've listened this far, we genuinely appreciate it. It would mean the world to us if you would leave a review, in particular on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you have any questions, we look at these all the time. Podcast at Worldwide Cyclery. Send them via email. And uh, I don't know, anything else? Good night and good luck. Good, good, do. And good luck. Thank you very much. See you Love next ya. one. Cheers.